The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash. This is the Busted Open Podcast. You can listen to the full show Monday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Welcome to the Busted Open Podcast. This is Dave LaGreca. On today's episode, we give our tribute and we look back at the life and the career of one of the greatest of all time, Terry Funk. And we do it with our host, Tommy Dreamer and Bully Ray. I couldn't think of two better hosts to do this show with me on this day. And we have a couple of tremendous guests for the podcast as well. Mick Foley will join us. Jim Ross will join us and all full of stories and memories of the great Terry Funk. First and foremost, let me say to both of you, I'm so sorry for your loss because I know that Terry Funk was more than just a wrestler, but he was a friend. So uh, I'm so sorry to hear about your, the loss. And let me welcome in Tommy Dreamer and Bully Ray. And, you know, unfortunately, when we do shows like this, you know, it's always hard. But I think over the next three hours, we're going to share a lot of great stories, a lot of great memories, and a lot of great moments when it comes to Terry Funk. Good morning, Tommy. Good morning, Bully. Good morning. Um, yeah, uh, this is the hardest show I'll probably ever have to do. Um, <clears throat> Terry was everything for me. And uh, excuse me, I apologize for being very emotional this show, but this is a hard one. Um, without Terry Funk, there would be no Tommy Dreamer. It's that simple. Um, he did went out of his way for me in in ways that um, it's hard to explain when you talk about a mentor. Um, and it's a reason kind of why I always go out of my way. He saw something in people that I don't know others did. I don't know why he saw that in me. Um, I know it had a lot to do with respect. And, you know, I was able to pick his brain. And like, you know, I, I put this on my Facebook page, like my greatest moments in my career, I shared with him. I fought alongside him. We had yesterday Ivy Nile on. And she talks about when you wrestle with somebody, you get this amazing connection. But then it's like when you take it to the next level of traveling in a car with somebody um, or just, you know, here's this person. And, and I've said this before. I hated Terry Funk as a performer. 
um, because he was so good at his job. I hated him because he beat up my hero, Terry Funk. And then when you get smartened up to the wrestling business, you realize just how great he was. And I truly do love all the posts everybody's posting and pictures that, you know, or, or little stories they're telling about him. The man, you know, he's a second generation wrestler. He gave his entire life to the wrestling industry. Um, and the fans were the most important thing to him outside of his immediate family from his wife, Vicky, and his two daughters. And, you know, I also, I mean, up until about three months ago, I was able to still talk to him. I would talk to him all the time. Um, but back to when, you know, I, I honestly, I never thought he would pass away. He was the toughest man I ever was in the ring with. He's the toughest. Like, I saw him do things at my age and older that you cannot possibly, like, I would say to him, this was later on in our conversations, like, how the hell did you do it? And he's like, I did it because I loved it. And it just meant everything to me. You know, uh, last night on uh, Busted Open after dark, and before I say what I'm going to say, I just want to thank everybody who tuned in last night and everybody who called in last night uh i think the busted open family help uh get each other through the night into this morning for uh myself you dave and tommy to do what we do here on busted open and it hit me after the show about how terry would have reacted to our sadness and our mourning that morning m-o-u-r-n-i-n-g <laughs> of him and he would probably be so pissed off yeah. are you kidding me come on guys somebody get some heat on me when i'm dead my body ain't even, my body's still warm. Please, somebody piss on me. Like, seriously, if you knew Terry Funk, that's what he would have wanted. Um, obviously, we're not doing that, but I even saw a smirk come across Tommy's face because the Funker would want us to use his passing away to, to get us over. Um, on... Uh, on After Dark, I went out on a limb, Tommy, and I said that I was going to ask you a question this morning. And that question was going to be, if it wasn't for Tom Terry Funk, would there be a Tommy Dreamer? And we have not spoke uh, about this at all. And you started off the show with, if there was no Terry Funk, there would be no Tommy Dreamer. So you answered that question already. Obviously, to guys like myself and Dreamer and Devon and Taz and Shane Douglas and Sabu and Paul Heyman, and the list goes on and on, and all these ECW guys who got to spend time with Terry Funk in the locker room and remember the first day that he came in and what he meant to the company. 
Terry Funk gave credibility to a company that lacked it at the time was just this, you know, dirty pro wrestling company that was acting like the wild, wild West. And here comes Terry Funk. And basically said that, you know, I like this company. This is a good company. This is a company that I want to work for. This is a locker room that I want to be a part of and instantly put us on the map. And I think we will all forever be grateful for that. Um, he was, he was, a you know, a great, you know, for, as a performer, there, there was no better Dave. He's your favorite next to Ric Flair. Yeah. He's, uh, he's on my Mount Rushmore. He's yeah. It's, it's Ric Flair. And then it's Terry Funk. Last night on after dark, I, you know, I, I tried to tell a couple of stories that I remembered and I figured that this morning I'd remember some more stories. And one of the, one of the stories was when I got to wrestle on WrestleFest, the 50 years of funk. And that was funk versus Bret Hart. That was the match that the movie beyond the mat was basically built around and I've told you the story before that when Terry Funk came up to me and he paid me for that show, I was in shock because I couldn't believe that I was actually getting paid to wrestle on this huge event. Terry Funk's like ninth retirement or whatever, whatever number of retirement that was. And what I'm holding up right now is the actual check. That's awesome that Terry Funk handed to me in the locker room in Amarillo, Texas. And he thanked me for wrestling on the show and he thanked me for being there. And I think that's the first time I heard Terry Funk call me friend. And as you can see, this check has never been cashed. I still have the check to this day signed by Terry Funk who had immaculate penmanship as you can see, the account is drawn on Terry and Vicky Funk. And in the bottom left-hand corner, it says WrestleFest. The pay was the, the, the pay was four hundred dollars, which is considerably more than young boy Bubba Ray Dudley uh expected that night, because I expected zero. Never cash this. And 20 years later, when I told him that I had never cashed the check, he looked at me and he said, you son of a bitch. That's how come I can't balance my checkbook. <laughs> this is former UFC champion Chris Weidman. Do you want to feel what it's like to get in the octagon with me? Right now, we are bringing the hardest hitting MMA talk on the planet to your podcast feeds with Won't Back Down, a Sirius XM podcast. Every Monday, I'm speaking my mind and taking you inside combat sports like no one else. Every tap, every snap, and whatever else is on my mind. Download Won't Back Down right now on Sirius XM, Stitcher, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcast. Won't Back Down. Vacations are always good. Sometimes they're even great. And Celebrity Cruises is about to ruin all of that. Because once you explore with us, you'll never want a vacation any other way. 
And with new quick Caribbean escapes, you'll never want a weekend any other way either. Celebrity Cruises. Nothing comes close. Visit Celebrity.com, call 1-800-CELEBRITY, or contact your travel advisor. Ships Registry, Malta and Ecuador. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited-time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for $15 a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash busted open. That's mintmobile.com slash busted open. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash busted open. $45 upfront payment required equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. You know, we've been sharing our our memories and our favorite moments of Terry Funk, uh, somebody that we're going to bring in now, legend himself, Hall of Famer. Let's bring in uh, Mick Foley. Mick, uh, good morning, and so sorry for your loss. He was our favorite wrestler, right? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but the way I understand it, like all of us, right? We represent what. Uh, almost 90 years, 85 years of experience, at least 80 between the three of us. And we've all come to the conclusion that uh, in all our years, Terry was the best guy we ever saw. It was that combination of, uh, you know, his ability, his uh, crowd uh, psychology, uh, his promos and his ability to be in the zone uh, every single time I saw him. And uh, I had the privilege of writing uh, the forward to Terry's book. And I think I said in it, that the only person I saw who seemed to be in the zone every single night was Terry and Ric Flair. Um, he just, it was, there was no occasion too small to give his very best. Uh, no occasion too small to, uh, to raise someone else's stature. Uh, during the course of a match. And I saw him tear down the house on many occasions when we worked for IWA Japan, when the house shows were pretty sparsely attended and you would never know it. As a matter of fact, the match I'm proudest of in January, 1995 was against Terry. And then it was in front of 150 people. And we did everything we could to put that little promotion on the map. Mick, you do you that. remember the first time, the first day, the first night that you ever met Terry? Yeah, well, specifically, I don't, I, hello, different conversations. The first real defining moment for me was when I somehow scored an invitation to Ric Flair's 42nd birthday. It was the night uh, that it was following the match where he and Lex Luger tore it down in Greensboro. 
And so Rick had a big suite at the top of a, a really nice hotel. And, uh, and I was talking uh, with Terry and Dennis Brent came over. Dennis Brent was a photographer and writer for the WCW magazine. He said, you know, Terry is the reason that you are always, um, you're uh, giving Mick advice is that because you see a little bit of yourself in him. And Terry looked at Dennis and said, I don't see shit in him. <laughs> I'm allowed to curse on XM, right? Yes. Uh, so that was, I mean, I know I'd met him uh, on a handful of occasions before that, but that to me was like the solidifier. Uh, and he gave me uh, only in a, in only the way that Terry could he spoke almost in parables and he was reflecting on my match that night with Norman, the lunatic. And he uh, shared some hard truths with me about that. Uh, he shared a story about the devil and the angel and the angel saying, uh, don't you understand without him, there's no me. And he said, Norman was that angel uh, last night, tonight. Uh, you've got to find a way to bring out that devil in you. And then he said, you know, cactus, all these bumps you take, they're not going to mean anything unless you can find a way to, he was telling me like I had to work on my heat. I had to find a way to become more aggressive in order for the things that I did do well to mean more. So that was the first prominent uh, meeting that I, that I remember. Cactus. I don't know if you know this or if I ever told you this story. This awesome. But the first time that I ever interacted with Terry was in the ECW arena in late 1995, the evening of the flaming chair incident. <laughs> and when Terry came back through the curtain and he was looking for you and he was <laughs> yelling and screaming and going crazy as a 402 pound young boy i scurried for the back of the ecw arena the back of the locker room as we all remember it and i found a six foot tall fan one of those giant industrial yeah. fans and i tried to hide behind it because i was so terrified by what i was seeing and as Terry made his way through the locker room, yelling and screaming and looking for you, he finally walks towards the back of the dressing room. And I'm the only person there between him and the door that led to all the floats in the back <laughs> of the arena. Right. And I come out from behind the fan as if he couldn't see me anyway. Right. And I'm like, are you okay, sir? And he smacks me across the face. <laughs> who the hell are you? I'm fine. I don't you know who I am. I'm the fucker. Get out of my way. And he walks away. And I just remember holding my jaw and my cheek. And at that point saying, this is the highlight of my career. <laughs> I just got smacked in the face by Terry Funk. So thank you for lighting him on fire. <laughs> I, I described it when I came back there he was throwing furniture of astonishing size like it looked like something Braun Strowman might be able to pull off and Terry was throwing that and it was just heartbreaking for me because he was my hero and I'd set him on fire <laughs> and you know what this is actually one of my favorite stories because keep in mind this is 95 the cell phones may have been out but I didn't have 
And I remember driving back to Long Island just forlorn. And I was thinking, I will never wrestle again. And by the time I got to Long Island, I changed it to, I will never wrestle in the United States again. <laughs> and Colette and I went out the next day to the east end of Long Island. She was trying to like just assuage the hurt I felt. And when I got back, it was the old school answering machine, you know, and I pressed the answering machine and I, get, I hear this voice, uh, Cactus, this is uh, Terry Funk. And uh, I just want to say that I was a fool last night. I was a damn fool, but we sure gave them something to talk. And I just, it just, it just made, I'm getting the, the tingles right now just talking about it because uh, I'm sorry I slapped you, but keep in mind that people would line up for hours in Japan to be slapped by Anoki, right? And yep. you didn't have to wait at all. <laughs> and I got it for free. <laughs> hey, uh, one of my first times meeting Terry, uh, he's wrestling in ECW. And of course he's the legend, Terry Funk. And he's in this match and it was just like a hodgepodge of a match. It was like him, road warrior, Hawk, Jim, the anvil, Nightheart, and like King Kong Bundy. And he comes in the back again, livid and like, you know, wild and crazy. And like what bully described and like what you described, we're all these tough wrestlers and there's photographers and there's people who are supposed to be in the back. And the back back then was a, a sanctuary. And he comes back there like how Bruiser Brody is coming through the crowd in Japan. Right. And locker rooms of people are scurrying to get out of his way. And he's cursing. And then all of a sudden, for some reason, there was a car back there. And not a car, like a, a fake car, like because we had the floats and everything. Right. And he went under, like got on his belly. And went under the car and was screaming, like going crazy, right? And I'm like, what is this man doing? You fast forward to like last year where I'm reading the original Sheik's book that Brian Solomon wrote. And Sheik didn't want to get into the ring with, I believe it was Luthez because he was afraid he was going to get stretched and get exposed. Right. He went out in the snow and hid under a car. And it made national news and got him in the newspaper. And I was just like, and when I told, I go, Terry, you stole what the Sheik did back then. He goes, maybe Sheik stole it from me. (laughs) (laughs) But he just did that, like working us all just to try to get more of an umph out of a match that wasn't so much had a lot of umph. Yeah, and that was at a time when ECW was still trying to figure out what it was yeah. going to be, and they were just throwing a lot of stuff at the wall. Not all of it, not all of it worked. But without Terry, is it safe to say ECW would not have been ECW without Terry? Absolutely. Um, we, we, I, we were I talking about it earlier. Yeah, I mean, when Paulie was putting that together, and I think uh, Terry started when uh, you know he was there under Eddie Gilbert's booking because he cut that famous horse promo with the uh, tail end of a horse uh, as if he was cutting a promo on Eddie Gilbert. Uh, but when when Paul took over and he realized he needed one guy to help make other guys, you just, and the thing is, he wasn't going through the motions. He could have, no one would have thought less of him if he had gone through the motions. And he never, he never went through the motions. He always gave you the best match he could. And the reason I explained in the forward I wrote for his book 
why I would put him above anyone else, you know, at the very top of my Mount Rushmore is that he made it so easy to suspend disbelief, right? Like I, so it sounds to me, he was legit upset. He was, he was a little upset with me after I set him on fire in ECW, but he was working the other time. He was, he was working to try to generate interest and heat and, uh, and, and yeah, he, and you, you suspended disbelief. I remember being in a ring for an independent show from, for Mike O'Brien or Mike Lombardi also Eastern championship, but not Eastern in Northeast championship wrestling, really good promoter. And not everyone knew who Terry was. He was going to be in, uh, <laughs> I was going to be in Lawler's corner. He was going to be in man scouts corner. But by the time he got to the ring, even if these younger fans did not know who he was, they knew he was not someone to be messed with. And I was saying to the ring announcer, I go, you better get out of the ring. He goes, what? I go, you better get out of the ring. He goes, what do you mean? I said, you better better get out of the ring. (laughs) And he goes, but I'm the ring announcer. (laughs) And the first thing Terry does, I bail out because I don't want to get, but here comes that big left hand. Boom. Backstage, the guy's got a... (laughs) He's got a nice back on his head. He goes, I can't believe he hit me. And I look at him. I said, what part of you better get out of the ring? <laughs> Did you not understand? So he had that ability and he brought it every night and he shared his knowledge. He understood that by making other people, he was creating his own competition. And he was like all of the best. He was he was good with that. Uh, you know, we just heard an interview from him and like, I'm like, this was seven years ago and I'm saying, and he's saying he's in his seventies and like, I'm like, wait, he was wrestling for me when he was in his late sixties, early seventies. And I was just like, I can't imagine. Cause I mean, we all know how we feel some days, you know, what Terry Funk would feel like there's days today where, you know, I'm like when I'm on a plane and my knees are killing me and I wasn't doing moonsaults to the crowd, but when you were wrestling with him in the WWE, like you guys won the the tag tiles. He was 54 years old. Yeah. Like uh, again, I'll never forget that image of that bruise from when you guys got dumped in the dumpster. Yeah. Yeah. When Billy, it was no, you know, it was nobody's fault, but Terry clipped his lower back when he was being power bombed into the dumpster. This is a sentence that only makes sense in professional, professional wrestling. And I mean, you talk about a hematoma. It was like a football on his back. And I remember Road Dog saying, and he wasn't knocking Steve. He 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 looked at the he looked at the uh, monitor. He goes, "I don't care what they say." Talking about the announcer, he goes, "That's the toughest SOB I've ever seen." And uh, I do, you know, the only couple that that night I had to take most of the beating from uh, DX. That was the reformation of the, the not the reformation, but like the expansion of the most famous DX lineup with X-Pac and Billy and Road Dog and uh, Hunter and China. Um, that night and also one night when we did a house show in ECW showed me his uh, MRIs and it was just the worst, worst MRI. You couldn't dream up a worse looking MRI. Cactus, I don't know how much I'll be able to do. And when we got out there, do you think that was an issue? Nope. Yeah. Yeah. There was no such thing as a night off. He was, and then he would, he would be in extreme pain going into a match. He'd be extreme pain when he came back, but brother, when he was out there, you would never know it. If you talk about toughness, he got kicked by a horse on live pay-per-view 
and continued the match. I mean, that has <laughs> literally killed people. But Terry goes out there and finishes the match. And when I asked him about it, he was like, I felt so bad. That was my horse. I spooked it. I felt horrible. <laughs> I felt terrible. And I was like, the horse kicked you. Cactus. Yep. Another one of my favorite Terry stories is that he was he just kind of randomly mentioned that he was stabbed by a fan in Corpus Christi. I was going to stabbed by a fan here, and I said, "Really? Did you did you press charges?" And he wheeled around and looked me in the eyes. What did you say? I said, "Did did you press charges?" He was cactus. How could I press charges when that fan was giving me the biggest compliment he possibly <laughs> could? He hated me enough to try to kill me, and that's. That's who he was. Uh, a stab Amazing. wound is a badge of honor. Amazing. Uh, Cactus, with the resurgence of deathmatch wrestling uh, over the past five years, did you ever get a chance to talk to Terry about what it is deathmatch wrestling is today? Or do you know how he felt about it with God, you know, you and Terry and Onita? basically the kings of the death match, you know, as you know, in Japan guys, yeah. you know, performers who incorporated psychology into death match wrestling, which is truly where it's at, you know, for me, um, lack of psychology these days in death match wrestling. Did Terry have an opinion on it? Did he speak to him? And what do you think he would have thought of it? Yeah. Not that I recall the past, you know, five years, you know, he'd been, he'd been declining. And I was so fortunate that the last time I saw him, his daughters described it as a good day. He had family and friends around him. Uh, and somebody sent me a video, not just a photo, but a little video of the two of us watching the finals of the I, uh, IWA King of the Deathmatch tournament. Um, so it was getting tougher to have those type of conversations. So I don't recall, I think... I think he'd be okay. Same thing, as long as there's some psychology. And there were nights in Japan where psychology just went out the window because you're in a small crowd. You might not, have, you know, the most famous, the, my favorite match with Terry was one where I didn't see him, let alone have a chance to talk to him. And so sometimes you, you don't, you're out there, not, 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 this wasn't the case with Terry, but a couple of the guys, you'd have a main event death match and you'd have, no chance to talk to them, no chance to see them. There's 120 people out there and they're getting color in the first eight seconds of the match before you incorporate any of the deathmatch elements. Uh, it was almost considered, I talk about the badge of honor, whereas when you get the, you know, the color in the U.S., it's considered, a, you know, your point of pride for no one to see it. Whereas in Japan, it was like they wanted everyone to know. <laughs> they come up after 30 seconds. All the photographers are on them and come up with the blood and the crowd. Ooh. And at that point, you know, all right, this, I'm just trying to get out of here. I'm trying, I'm, I'm okay with a good, I just want to have a good match. I just want to have a solid match. I want to give people some oohs and ahs, but there's no, absolutely no psychology to it. I think, uh, so with that being said, you always want to have some psychology in your death matches. And I, I, I don't watch it enough to, to really remark on it. I know it's out there and it's thriving and they're in its own little community, which is, which is great. You know, there should be something for everyone. And there certainly was something for those fans of Japan and, and fans in the U S who liked that back when I was doing it, I think he'd be okay with it. I don't think he wants people doing foolish things, 
But to me, you know, an untrained guy attempting a German or, uh, you know, anything that turns you upside down and drops you on your head is going to be more of an issue structurally and every other way physically than some of the dumber things that are done in deathmatch wrestling. I know someone will quote me on that and disagree, but that's just my feeling after being around this stuff for, you know, close to 40 years. Do you have a favorite Terry Funk? Anything? <laughs> you know what? I, I, um, I want, I, I did the uh, nice day tour. It started before the pandemic. And then, you know, we had to wait that pause that year. And I'm actually doing uh, three more nice day shows. Uh, the last of which is just simply so my wife can see it because there's some cool stuff about her in there. But every night in the same way, the tour before it, the, uh, the highlight of that tour was when I got to do my dusty story. It's because doing the dusty imitation made me happy. And therefore if I'm happy, I feel like that's going to be transferred to the audience. My favorite story was about having that big match in January in front of the 150 fans uh, with uh, Terry. And uh, this is the one where we couldn't talk, uh, couldn't see each other, but we knew we had to tear it down because the media was there. And for people out there who don't understand the importance of the Japanese media, like in the age before the internet, like that was our TV. We would see the, the photographers there at, at uh, Corican and say, oh, TV tonight. So in this case, they had traveled to the little prefecture of uh, Guma, I believe it was, on January 10th. And um, I, we have the, it's the, the, probably the most difficult match I've ever had. 17 minutes of, you know, just relentlessness. And when it's over, I get ready to breathe that deep sigh of relief. The 150 fans mob around Terry. And then I hear this voice that goes, Cactus. <laughs> I didn't react. I didn't know how to react. Cactus. It sounds like a ghost in the wind. And he starts yelling out the word the same way he said forever, forever. He's yelling out repeatedly, respect, respect. And I start crawling towards Terry. This was a night where I nearly lost both pinkies. Not if I didn't nearly lose them. They were, they were grievously injured. Um, and ever, so everywhere I go, I'm leaving this little trail of blood and we get to each other and we, pull each other up we use each other's bodies for support and we lay in the uh we lay in the big hug and the crowd just responds as one as they do in japan and i'm thinking this is the best ending to a match i've ever had and then he whispers in my ear pile drive me is <laughs> it what pile drive me cactus and i what am i gonna do it's terry funk it doesn't matter that i think this is the best ending of a match he's called a new one so I pushed him away, gave him the boot, turned him upside down, dropped him on his head, you know, you know, safely. And I remember that crowd all turning on me in unison. And I just thought that was my favorite. You know, he was still looking to get every little bit out of that match as he could. And uh, our goal was to set that little promotion, you know, uh, to, you know, build a foundation on which that little promotion could grow. And that's what we did that night. Cactus, one last question from me. Um, how do you think Terry Funk would have wanted to be remembered? Oh, man. You know, he told me that uh, hardcore was not about chairs and tables and ladders and barbed wire. It was about going above and beyond 
to give fans their money's worth and more. And I think he is the ultimate hardcore wrestler because he went further above and farther beyond than anyone I've ever heard of, met, uh, in order to give fans the best show possible. And I think that's how he should be remembered. Hi, everybody. Christopher Mad Dog Russo here. Familiar? You should be. Well, now you can catch Mad Dog's Daily Bite each day as a podcast where you'll hear my thoughts and opinions on the biggest topics around the world of sports, NFL, baseball, golf, NBA, even the hockey. That you know you can count on. That's Mad Dog's Daily Bite. Drops daily anywhere you get your podcasts. And you can also hear me weekdays 3 to 6 Eastern on Mad Dog Unleashed, Sirius XM Channel 82, or anytime on the SXM app. Joining us right now is, to me, the greatest voice in the history of pro wrestling and somebody I know that knows Terry Funk very well, and that is Hall of Famer uh, Jim Ross joins us right now. Sir, thank you so much for the time. I know it's a difficult day, but really appreciate you taking the time to join us this morning. Uh, anytime for you guys. I appreciate it. I love the show. You got a, you got a little shot coming up in London, JR? Yeah, I got a booking, Bubba. <laughs> you're a little bit of a house sir yeah i heard there's gonna be a few folks there be, i love it should be fun fellas for an old timer like me i don't have any more trips to london i got in me but nonetheless i'm gonna make the most of this one jim when when i was introducing you I, I always say you know the greatest voice in the history of this sport and you know when i when the first thing i think of when i think of you when i think of terry funk when i think of rick flair I think of the I Quit match in Troy, New York, between Terry Funk and Ric Flair. You were on the call along with Gordon Soley. Uh, to, to me, that's the greatest match of all time, and you're a big reason for it. Obviously, Terry Funk as well. Uh, any memories of, of that night and that match? Well, yeah, you know, keeping Gordon sober was a challenge. Uh, <laughs> but nonetheless, I knew that when we did it. You know, it was my idea to use Gordon. Because, you know, Gordon had kind of been ignored and not respected, I didn't think, by WCW management. But nonetheless, uh, uh, he, he just, uh, it was fun. We didn't know what to expect. You know, it wasn't one of those deals where those guys sat around all day and worked out what they were going to do. It was all by feel, instincts. And that was one of Terry's great, greatest attributes. He had amazing instincts. And he was always willing to help somebody. I always thought that was one of the greatest traits he had was great in the locker room because he was just he was so uh pro wrestling he was terry funk was as much pro wrestling as anybody i ever met he was like family to me and uh you know we talked all the time Raphael morphy was telling me at breakfast this morning that he was at my place in florida my phone rang and it was terry we talked for 40 minutes about nothing and uh Raphael was so entertained uh <laughs> because terry was i had him on the speakerphone and he was just absolutely hilarious. I love the guy. We had so much fun together, and I learned so much from Terry Funk. He was just a wonderful human being, and he's going to be – he can't be replaced. There'll never be another guy like him in my book. He, he's, at, he's on that Mount Rushmore, in my, in my, in my opinion, anyway. JR, uh, you talked about the great instincts of Terry Funk. Jerry Lawler, who's one of the greatest workers of all time, has gone on record to say that he believed that Terry Funk was the greatest worker of all time. Do you share that sentiment? 
Yeah, that's hard to quantify, but yeah, I, I couldn't say no to that one. Uh, I've never been around anybody that had the instincts. He could read a crowd on his way to the ring. And he, he just had that feel, that intangible feel for pro wrestling. He loved it. He was committed to it. It was his life. And some of us that were around Terry in a pretty much a regular basis back in those days, late 80s, 89 was a good year for Terry because he had those matches with, with uh, Rick. And the match in, you mentioned there with the uh, I Quit match was certainly one of my, my favorite matches of all time. And next year I'll be in the business 50 years, and I have never had a experience better than that I Quit match. It was just perfect storytelling, had a, had a logical conclusion. They were physical. Uh, Terry and uh, uh, Rick beat the hell out of each other, which I got off on. And as long as it was somebody else, I could describe that. I just didn't want to experience it. But those guys were just, he, they were amazing. Was, that match was a classic. Uh, if you have never seen it, folks, find it and watch it. New York Knockout. It, it was just a uh, simply a fantastic main event. And they delivered it. Terry always delivered, no matter who it was, promos or whatever. The great thing about Terry was that the, I've been listening to some of the bikes you guys played. You know, that's all ad lib. He didn't write down a promo. They didn't have meetings to talk about a promo. You say this, I'll say that, then you react. Nothing. It's just natural. And that was his gift. He was a natural performer uh, who loved pro wrestling. And he will never be replaced. He'll always be missed. And I loved him like family. I really did. He was just, he helped me so much. And, and, and when I got to hire him in WWE, it was uh, a joy. It was, I felt like I was doing something good for wrestling to get Terry Funk back on a national television basis. Yeah, JR, when was the first time you met Terry? Uh, early 70s. Wow. He was, uh, he headlined the first, I think, I think Terry headlined the first Superdome event. He and Cowboy were on top. Uh, yeah, surprise, nice. surprise. And uh, <laughs> the finish was a uh, blood stoppage. Watts was bleeding too much. The referee stopped the match. But uh, that's when I met Terry. And then wow. he came in as a bounty hunter. And they did the old bounty hunter gimmick here and there. And so he was, a, he was a bounty hunter against Ken Mantell. And uh, Kenny was the object of the, the bounty. So uh, that's when I met him. And then he, he'd come back and do those bounty hunter shots and what have you. It was just a joy to be around, man. He just he lit, he lit up the locker room like you guys are telling. All those stories are from you, you guys' heart, and that means a lot to me to hear. So uh, I I just I just when I heard the news, I just was in disbelief. Even though I knew the end was somewhat near uh, a week or two ago, so it was it was just a great experience. I'm very blessed I got to work with Terry. I'm very blessed I could call him one of my best friends in wrestling. And I can also admit that I'm heartbroken. JR, you talked about how you had brought Terry into the WWF, you know, with the whole Chainsaw Charlie gimmick. You had been around to see so many legendary acts um, have Vince McMahon put his spin on them. You saw what he did with the Road Warriors. You saw what he did with Dusty Rhodes, even Flair to an extent. How did you feel about the Chainsaw Charlie character? And did Terry enjoy it as much as he seemed to enjoy it? Terry loved reinventing himself. And it takes courage for an established wrestler to, to be willing to change their gimmick, so to speak, or their presentation. Not Terry. 
he, he looked at it as a challenge. Uh, and I think he had fun doing it. That was my estimation of it. You know, he is all an experimentation. He didn't know what I was going to get over. He wasn't really worried about it because he knew his instincts would help get everything over. And, and it did. So he was fun to be around and, and it got him a run and he earned some paydays and he got him back in the national scene, which I thought was well past due. So, you know, things like that. Somebody said, what was one of your favorite moments? Well, one of my favorite moments was hiring Terry Puff and then he became Chainsaw Charlie. So, uh, I, I was just so blessed to be there in that position to be able to help him out. And, uh, then he was such an asset in the locker room. As you guys said, I'm sure he's taught each and every one of us that are talking here today on your show. He's done something great for us in our, in our profession, advice, uh, an idea, things of that nature. He was always willing to help talents, no matter if they were the top guys or they were just getting started. You know, Jr. I didn't, I've had, you know, thankfully I was able to interview Terry Funk. I've met him a few times. Obviously, I didn't have the relationship that everyone here on this show had with Terry Funk, but it was hard not to get emotional earlier when Beulah was talking about the song Desperado and the Eagles and how she's going to see the Eagles in concert. And it's and they're on their final tour before they finally say goodbye. And it's just it just feels like, you know, in the world of pro wrestling, we're saying goodbye a lot. And eras change times change and it's difficult to let go it's difficult to say goodbye and i know that you're a big fan of that band as well and i'm sure every time you hear that song desperado immediately you're going to be thinking of terry funk yeah you know well i'm a big eagles mark so uh it worked for me in all fronts several fronts but you know that was the signature he, he, he was that was his that was his music the music told a story just like terry told stories so it's perfect music for uh, you know, a guy that I really consider the last outlaw. He just uh, he's just an amazing human being, fellas. I'm telling you, and we're all lucky we got to know him. We're all lucky we got to work with him. We're all lucky we got to call him a friend. Because once you're a friend of Terry Funk's, you're you're in with him. He was loyal. Uh, you know, no games. He just was a super super human being. I remember one time going, uh, we were in Chicago, riding in a car. Terry was driving. Might have been Chris Cruz driving, I'm not sure. Somebody had a joint. And seeing Terry Funk get a buzz off the joint, and then hearing his act, so to speak, he'd start talking and laughing and telling stories. Shivani, me, Chris Cruz, and Terry. One joint. And it was, uh, I know it sounds childish, and maybe even a little coarse for some people, but he was—he uh, was just a tr- tremendous. He was hilarious, and so little things like that I remember. You know, smoking a joint with Terry Funk was one of my favorite memories, quite frankly. So, uh, it just little things like that just uh, sticks out with me. And you know, we—he's he, just so creative. The stuff he did with Flair to drop get his heat, build his heat for the uh, that New York knockout event was fascinating it was a master's class in how do you build an angle and what do you say and and what i've always been amazed with what i mentioned there alluded to anyway he didn't write a, he didn't write down his promos he just did it from his heart from his gut he had a, a string or a theme and he, he he married it he laid he laid with it he cultivated it 
JR, a fan had asked me, sorry, Tommy, a fan had asked me last night about, uh, you know, my favorite, you know, Terry Funk match. And I, I talked about a favorite Terry Funk moment. And that moment was when Terry Funk pile drove uh, Ric Flair onto the table. Obviously, that left a lasting impression on me and how my, my career and Devon's career had advanced. Um, when you had seen that, was that shocking to you? Had you ever seen that done before? Did you find it innovative? Do you remember how you felt when you saw a uh, funk pile drive flare on the table? Well, I was in shock because I don't think that spot was big time planned. I think it was an audible call by Terry because Rick's body English and his facial expressions <clears throat> told me or sent me a message that this was not on the quote unquote script. Uh, it was an ad lib. And I was shocked by it. I thought, well, there's no way that this can be safely executed. And all of a sudden, we're putting Flair in this amazing jeopardy and danger. Uh, but, boy, it got over. And I'd never seen anything like it. Now, in today's world, where sensationalism is seemingly the way of professional wrestling life, it might not sound like a big deal. But when you'd never seen it before, when it's brand new, and Terry got on that table with Nate, uh, it was absolutely... Uh, shocking because again i didn't how the hell are you guys going to pull this off and and of course as normal terry funk style he did it his way and he did it well and it's something i'm never going to forget um when you talk about reinventing yourself i had totally forgotten until you mentioned the car ride about terry being a commentator he had his own like piper's pit i forgot what it was called but then also like he would host and open up the other shows and then be a commentator. Did you work with him as well during that? Yeah. Yeah. He was great. He was natural. Yeah. There was nothing in pro wrestling guys from promoting. If you needed to put the ring up, he could, he could handle that. <laughs> I don't think that ever occurred, but if it, if it did, you knew he was going to come through. Uh, but yeah, he's, he was just multi-talented. There was nothing in pro wrestling that Terry Funk could not do successfully and do it better than anybody else. At least that's my take on it. And I know we're all emotional about this, but if he's not on the Mount Rushmore, then you got you need to recess your GPS and get back to that mountain where he belongs. <laughs> JR, I want to thank you for taking the time. I know this is a, a, a busy week for you as well, and uh, I hope you're feeling well. We're always thinking about you. We love you, and uh, have fun this weekend, JR. Well, I had a good I had a good week. Uh, my MRI was negative, meaning I don't have any uh, bone cancer in my tibia, which was a big big relief. I can't tell you guys the sleepless nights I've had in the last week or two waiting on the results, and uh, I finally got them. There's good news, no bone cancer. I'm moving on. So at 71, I know my time is limited. I get it. Nobody's got to remind me. It's time for TR to quit. Uh, JR, I'll let you know when it's time to quit. Uh, right. I'm going to go out my way the best I can. And uh, and that's hope you're doing great work and telling stories and getting these guys over. Amen. We knew that this was going to be a show that was going to go fast just because there's so much to talk about when it comes to Terry Funk. Uh, for me, the show was healing. Thank you, Nation. I miss him. Um, but I haven't been. I cried myself to sleep. I was dreading this show. I didn't cry this entire show, but I also know it's coming to an end. Um, 
if there was ever a person who deserved two tribute days, it would be Terry Funk. Um, and I want everybody to enjoy Wembley. And one day I'll tell you the story of how Tony Khan almost had me and Terry Funk for one last moment with Eddie Kingston and John Moxley. And he did that because he was a wrestling fan and it was happening except Terry couldn't get on a plane and we tried so hard. So everybody please enjoy Wembley because Terry Funk loved this industry and he loved this business and he loved all of you. You have no clue how many times he told me to tell hello to you and he missed you and he missed performing in front of you. So that's all I got. Thank you. I'm going to post a video later of the last promo that Terry Funk ever cut for wrestling fans. And it happened in December at the ECW arena. I made a phone call to Terry and I asked him to please film something for us. And he did. And it aired in the arena. And for me, it was full circle for Terry Funk and my relationship with him to hear him talk to the ECW fans in the ECW arena. And the last thing that Terry says in that promo was Devon get the tables. Wow. And I have that video and, um, I'm going to share it with all of you. Terry, thank you very much for everything that you ever did for me, my brother Devon, for ECW, for the wrestling business, for wrestling fans. I will love you forever, my friend. Forever. Busted Open is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcast. Catch the full three hours of Busted Open Monday through Saturday at 9 a.m. Eastern on SiriusXM Fight Nation, channel 156. Go to SiriusXM.com backslash Busted Open Trial to start your free trial today. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.